Prefatory Remarks of the Book of Snobs. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Shulifa Mulligan. The Book of Snobs by William Makepeace Thackeray. Prefatory Remarks. The Necessity of a Work on Snobs demonstrated from history and proved by fallacious illustrations i am the individual destined to write that work my vocation is announced in terms of great eloquence i show that the world has been gradually preparing itself for the work and the man snobs are to be studied like other objects of natural science and are a part of the beautiful with a large b they pervade all classes affecting instance of colonel snobley we have all read a statement the authenticity of which i take leave to doubt entirely for upon what calculations i should like to know is that founded we have all i say been favoured by perusing a remark that when the times and necessities of the world call for a man that individual is found thus at the french revolution which the reader will be pleased to have introduced so early when it was requisite to administer a corrective dose to the nation robespierre was found a most foul and nauseous dose indeed and swallowed eagerly by the patient greatly to the latter's ultimate advantage thus when it became necessary to kick john bull out of america mr washington stepped forward and performed that job to satisfaction thus when the earl of eldborough was unwell professor holloway appeared with his pills and cured his lordship as per advertisement etc etc numberless instances might be adduced to show that when a nation is in great want the relief is at hand just as in the pantomime that microcosm where when clown wants anything a warming-pan a pump-handle a goose or a lady's tippet a fellow comes sauntering out from behind the side-scenes with the very article in question again when men commence an undertaking they always are prepared to show that the absolute necessities of the world demanded its completion say it is a railroad the directors begin by stating that a more intimate communication between Bethesians and their inane bag is necessary for the advancement of civilization and demanded by the multitudinous acclamations of the great Irish people. Or suppose it is newspaper. The prospector states that, at a time when the church is in danger, threatened from without by savage fanaticisms and miscreant unbelief and undermined from within by dangerous jesuitism and suicidal chism a want has been universally felt a suffering people has looked abroad for an ecclesiastical champion and guardian a body of prelates and gentlemen have therefore stepped forward in this our hour of danger and determined on establishing the beadle newspaper etc etc one or other of these points at least is incontrovertible the public wants a thing therefore it is supplied with it or the public is supplied with the thing therefore it wants it i have long gone about with a conviction on my mind that i had a work to do a work if you like with a great w 
a purpose to fulfil, a chasm to leap into, like Kirsch's, horse and foot, a great social evil to discover and to remedy. That conviction has pursued me for years. It has dogged me in the busy street, seated itself by me in the lonely study, jogged my elbow as it lifted the wine-cup at the festive board, pursued me through the maze of rotten row, followed me in far lands. On Brighton's shingly beach, on Margaret's sand, the voice outpiped the roaring of the sea. It nestles in my nightcap, and it whispers, Wake, slumberer! Thy work is not yet done. Last year, by moonlight in the Colosseum, the little, saddler's voice came to me and said, Smith or Jones, the writer's name is neither here nor there. Smith or Jones, my fine fellow, this is all very well, but you ought to be at home writing your great work on snobs. When a man has this sort of vocation, it is all nonsense attempting to elude it. He must speak out to the nations, he must unbosom himself, as James would say, or choke and die. Mark to yourself, I have often mentally exclaimed your humble servant, the gradual way in which you have been prepared for, and are now led by an irresistible necessity to enter upon your great labour. First, the world was made then, as a matter of course, snobs. They existed for years and years, and were no more known than America. But presently, ingens padibat talus, the people became darkly aware that there was such a race. Not above five and twenty years since, a name, an expressive monosyllable, arose to designate that race. That name has spread over England like railroad subsequently, Snobs are known and recognised throughout an empire on which I am given to understand the sun never sets. Punch appears at the ripe season to chronicle their history, and the individual comes forth to write that history in Punch. I have, and for this gift I congratulate myself with a deep and abiding thankfulness, an eye for a snob. If the truthful is the beautiful, it is beautiful to study even the snobbish, to drag snobs through history, as certain little dogs in Hampshire hunt out ruffles, to sink shafts in society and come upon rich veins of snob ore. Snobbishness is like death in a quotation from Horace, which I hope you never have heard, beating with equal foot at poor men's doors and kicking at the gates of emperors. It is a mistake to judge of snobs lightly, and think they exist among the lower classes merely. An immense percentage of snobs, I believe, is to be found in every rank of this mortal life. You must not judge hastily or vulgarly of snobs. To do so shows that you are yourself a snob. I myself have been taken for one. When I was taking the waters at Bagnick Wells and living at the Imperial Hotel there, they used to sit opposite me at breakfast for a short time, a snob so insufferable that I felt I should never get any benefit of the waters so long as he remained. His name was Lieutenant Colonel Snobley, of a certain dragoon regiment. He wore Japan boots and moustaches. He lisped, drawled, and left the R's out of his words. He was always flourishing about and smoothing his lacquered whiskers with a huge flaming bandana that filled the room with an odour of musk so stifling 
that I determined to do battle with that snob, and that either he or I should quit the inn. I first began harmless conversations with him, frightening him exceedingly, for he did not know what to do when so attacked, and had never the slightest notion that anybody would take such a liberty with him as to speak first. Then I handed him the paper. Then, as he would take no notice of these advances, I used to look him in the face steadily, and— And use my fork in the light of a toothpick. After two mornings of this practice, he could bear it no longer, and fairly quitted the place. Should the colonel see this, will he remember the gent who asked him if he thought Pablicola was a fine writer, and drove him from the hotel with a four-pronged fork? End of Prefatory Remarks